Just as global pundits thought we'd seen the worst of the surge, inflation figures in the United States once again surprising on the upside. That means more interest rate pain around the world, including South Africa. The rand remains volatile, the economic outlook gloomy, and the sentiment is weak. So, where to from here? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel, or has load shedding snuffed it all out? This is No Ordinary Wednesday, an in-depth look at the events and trends, moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. A very warm welcome. I'm Jeremy Maggs. In this episode, our guests, Lara Hodes, an economist at Investec, and Brian Cantor, a member of Investec's Global Investment Strategy Group, will give us a macroeconomic outlook in these uncertain times. To both of you, a very warm welcome. Lara, let's start then with the hot topic of interest rates. The South African Reserve Bank has been decidedly hawkish of late, but uh, the U.S. Fed has been even more aggressive in its rate hikes. How then is this weighing on emerging markets? Yes. So, Jeremy, the the negative effect on investor sentiment from the Fed's increasingly hawkish tone, coupled with global growth concerns exacerbated, obviously, by the persisting war in Ukraine, is weighing heavily on risk assets. For an example, out of a basket of 24 emerging market currencies monitored by Bloomberg, all 24 have depreciated when measured on a month-to-date basis. So the Fed is expected to hike rates by a further 75 basis points at its July meeting, which will put even more pressure on emerging market currencies. In its latest set of minutes, it highlighted the need to decrease economic activity meaningfully to contain inflation. So the Saab, in response to heightened inflationary pressures and the decidedly more hawkish stance of the U.S., is likely to hike the repo by a further 50 basis points on Thursday. Over the remainder of the year, barring any significant changes to the current economic predicament, we expect an additional 55 basis point increase. So now let's focus very quickly, if we can, on the currency. The RAND and other emerging market currencies are feeling the heat that we know from U.S. interest rates. Is that just because of dollar strength right now or are there other fundamentals at play here? Okay, so, yeah, as you said, the domestic currency and other emerging market currencies have weakened markedly as a result of the greenback strength on safe haven inflows, with the USD actually reaching parity to the euro. The rand in particular, which is a key commodity currency, has also weakened as metal prices have lost ground. The risk-averse environment in global financial markets has, of course, adversely impacted metal prices, with the World Bank's Metals and Minerals Index actually down over 18% since March. And then domestic challenges that South Africa faced, severe load shedding and the slow implementation of key reforms, has also increased concern over South Africa's growth prospects and weighed on the local currency. So, Brian, let me bring you into the conversation now. It's always good to talk to you. In your view, has global inflation then peaked? And is the U.S. Fed overreacting possibly by moving so aggressively on raising rates? Yes, I would say we're at close to the peak, which is the peak headline inflation rates with increasing prices over the last 12 months is either at or very close to its peak. So we'll see the headline inflation rate in the U.S. declining by year end towards 6% or so. So the trend will will reverse, partly because some of the um, supply side forces that have acted on inflation are reversing. 
oil price, grains, costs of moving containers, all passed their peaks. So the supply side forces seem to be alleviating. And then perhaps more fundamental importance for inflation is the demand side of the equation. So prices equalize demand and supply. The demand side is weak. So there's no doubt that demand side pressures on inflation everywhere, including South Africa, are very subdued now and are likely to get even more subdued. So central banks really need to do no more than to wait it out, to raise interest rates at this time, which are intended to and will depress demand further, is, I think, a necessary step too far. And that will be true in, in South Africa as well. There's going to be no demand side pressure on inflation. And you can see that in the U.S. in particular by looking at money growth and credit growth. It slowed down completely. So to get inflation continuing at these rates, you need continuous stimulus to the demand side of the economy. And that is not happening. So the Fed has been behind the curve and it might well by aggressive interest rate increases, lead the economy into a recession, an increasing probability of recession. Well, that's not good enough. I mean, you don't need to control inflation with a recession. You should do better than that. You should first avoid the inflation in the first instance, but having suffered the inflation, you then really have to think about what the longer-term outlook for inflation is. And the market is well aware that inflation will be coming down. In fact, next year, forecast market views on inflation are for very subdued inflation next year. Not immediately, but next year you'll see the inflation rate coming back into line with the sort of longer-term averages. So, Brian, you use phrases like wait it out and a step too far. I'm hearing as far as central banks are concerned then that it's a very fine balance. There is a real risk, as you say, that we could tip into a global recession. How close are we to that? What would tip us over the edge? Well, there are um, models of recession which suggest that the probability of a recession in the U.S. is not more than 50 percent. It's somewhere between 30 and 40 percent chance, which is quite a good chance. Uh, If you look at the direction of interest rates, the so-called yield curve or term structure of interest rates, they're already pointing down beyond six months or so. So the market is saying we're going to get these increases in interest rates, maybe not 75 basis points, maybe only 50. But the peak in short-term interest rates will happen in January next year. So the market is looking ahead perhaps more sagaciously, the collective wisdom, than, than the Fed. The Fed found itself in a hard place and could easily make mistakes. It could easily intensify recessionary pressures. But so far, it's not certain that we'll get a recession. It's not certain. But it does, I think, depend on how aggressive the Fed wants to be. So, Lara, let's talk now about manifestation, if we can. We've had a, a, a we have a good understanding now from you and from Brian about the global uh, economic conditions. Specifically, though, uh, what's the impact on world trade and particularly for South African exports? 
Yes, so as Brian alluded to, demand is very subdued at the moment. There are global growth concerns. The IMF is looking to downgrade its global growth forecast for the third time for 2022. And this is obviously a key risk for international trade. Supply-side bottlenecks, which of course post-COVID were then exacerbated by the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, have perhaps eased a bit. But if one looks at the latest survey results from the JP Morgan Global Manufacturing PMI, it indicates that manufacturers are still battered by stretched supply chains. There's been tapering of growth and new order intakes and a markedly lower business confidence is evident. International trade flows are continuing to decline as the volume of new export business contracted for the fourth straight month in June. This decrease in demand or subdued demand will definitely weigh on SA's export potential. And as I mentioned previously, South Africa also has a number of domestic challenges, which logistical challenges, heightened rotational load shedding, which are also impeding optimal export potential. And the concern here is there's no real end in sight to the bottleneck. So you allude to the fact that there's been some easing, but it certainly isn't enough, is it? Yes, definitely. Well, I would say on that, bottlenecks will ease, and they've certainly eased on the transport side. The oil price is significantly lower than it was at the height of the crisis, if you like, of the Russian invasion. So I don't think one needs to be too uh, pessimistic on the supply side. These things do sort themselves out, and high prices are the cure for high prices. You do get uh, more output. The key player in all this, as always, in determining the prices of industrial metals and precious metals is China. China is the most important, or Chinese demand is the most important influence on uh, global metal and commodity prices. Now, China has its own supply side problems, and that is the lockdowns, the restrictions on output, which certainly weighed heavily on the Chinese economy. It's barely grown over the last 12 months. But there is some good news. The Chinese exports have been rising very strongly. In fact, it seems as if June was a particularly good month for China coming out of the lockdowns. And the Chinese are stimulating their economy as they always do when growth slows down. So there's strong credit creation and money growth in China at the moment. And that may well help the commodity prices. Now remember, the commodity prices have fallen off not because producers have, have sort of ramped up production, they haven't, because demand fell away. But there's also the long-term impact on industrial commodity prices of the transition to zero emissions. That will be a strong secular force acting on industrial metals, cobalt and lithium and copper in particular. So I think one can be fairly optimistic about the longer-term outlook for the metals that South Africa produces, which are so important to our economy and to the direction the South African economy takes. We had a boost from commodity price inflation, and it showed up across the board, including in tax revenue. So Yes, prices have come off, but I think one need not be too pessimistic about the longer-term outlook for these prices. 
We'll continue this conversation in a moment. I'd just like to remind you that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Please don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. Brian, I wonder if we can move away from exports and maybe just look at markets specifically. Now, a couple of years ago, at the height of the pandemic, there was this disconnect between the state of the economy, which was crippled by lockdowns, and the markets themselves. They continued to perform regardless. With markets now off their highs, will equities remain depressed as economic growth slows? Or is there some connection, some intersect at some point, some divergence between so-called Wall Street and Main Street? Well, the um, you know on the uh, lockdowns, if you go back to March two th- uh, thousand and twenty, the markets collapsed. There was a sharp retreat on the news of the lockdowns because clearly a huge uncertainty is about how economies would perform during lockdowns and after lockdowns. But monetary and fiscal authorities in the developed world certainly came to the rescue. So they said, well, people weren't uh, earning income. We've got to uh, make up for that loss in income. We've got to stimulate demand so that when the lockdowns end, there will be appetite. And there was huge appetite. And spending growth took off, mostly funded with money growth and with debt. And that money and the recovery in demand certainly translated into a strong recovery in equity valuations across the globe, but particularly in the US. So we had a magnificent recovery. But the peak in that recovery of equity markets ended early this year. So all markets, this is an interesting feature of the um, capital markets this year. Every category of market, emerging markets, the US, Europe, uh, South Africa, if you like, all came off, have come off by about 20%. So they're down 20% of what was a, a high peak, a high peak where valuations were stretched by ordinary conventional measures of price earnings ratios and the like. It's from rich markets down. Now, it's the fear of the Fed that has disrupted one. The, the great uncertainty is What's going to happen to economies over the next 12 months or so? And what role will the Fed be playing in determining the fate of these economies? And there's a lot of uncertainty. I'm fairly optimistic that the Fed won't make such a cardinal and obvious error as to lead the U.S. economy into a significant recession. It's, it's too obvious what they need not do for them, in fact, to do it. And if they are at all data dependent, as as the phrase goes, they will stop raising interest rates within six months, and then the market will start looking towards declining interest rates across the board. They're looking to uh, long-term interest rates being low already, so the Fed will start cutting. And I hope that our Reserve Bank is equally circumspect. Our economy is not pushing up prices for demand-side reasons. It's all ESCOM, it's perhaps international food prices, all of which will fade away. So the market is expecting the Reserve Bank to increase interest rates aggressively over the next 12, 18 months. I don't think that's going to happen. 
I want to start drawing this conversation to a close, and Lara Hodes, I'm going to come back to you now. With all this global volatility plus high interest rates that we have been reflecting on, the inflationary pressures that you refer to, and as uh, Brian Cantor was just mentioned, the load shedding, the power cuts at home, have you in any way revised your 2022 forecasts for the South African economy? So, South Africa is unlikely to see a GDP growth above 2% for this year, following a robust first quarter outcome, which was ahead of consensus expectations. The second quarter of this year is likely to record a contraction, um, largely on the back of the effects of the flood damage in KwaZulu-Natal and the significant ramp up in electricity load shedding, along with a weakening in global demand and and very low confidence levels. So at this stage, our forecast is for around 1.9% for this year. The electricity grid, as we all know, has been under severe strain uh, with load shedding reaching up to stage six at times, weighing on economic growth potential. The economy cannot function to its full potential, as we know, with insufficient electricity. And just on the confidence side, which is obviously also drives growth, both business and consumer confidence fell deeper into depressed territory in the second quarter. Consumer confidence actually fell markedly in the second quarter with households anticipating a deterioration in their household finances and in particular the South African economic growth outlook, which does not bode well for consumer spend in the near term. And Brian, in conclusion, let's just end with opportunity if we can. Let's talk for a moment about investment beyond financial flows. Here's the background very quickly. In the past couple of months, uh, the poor state of public infrastructure in South Africa really did reach breaking point quite literally. But while the need is there, we've seen very little other than talk about addressing this backlog. Do you think we can get this limping train back on track? Would it be too optimistic to suggest that the situation dire as it seems could be an opportunity for savvy private investors well the opportunity is there opportunity has been there but it takes a change in mindset and change in attitude towards the role of the private sector if you gave a full go ahead adding to the generation capacity one way or another there'd be lots of opportunities for uh, investment in the generation capacity and in the grid. And there would be no lack of capital to that purpose. The banks would be very pleased to be able to lend on against the prospect of ESCOM-like and inflation-adjusted prices for the energy that they could produce. So there's lots of scope. I would add a more optimistic point. The South African economy has not fared as poorly as many of the other emerging market economies, partly because we have very little dollar-denominated debt. So we didn't face a debt crisis with a strong dollar that certainly many other uh, emerging markets, uh, economies have had to cope with. And then uh, Laura's point is correct. The first quarter was a very good quarter for the South African economy with growth quarter to quarter close to 2%. Now, if you annualize that, that gets you close to 9 or 10% on an annualized basis. Now, we're not going to grow at that rate through the year. In fact, uh, we probably slow down almost completely, but we'll do 2% or so. And then a helpful feature is earnings have been growing quite strongly. If you look at 
tax revenues from PAYE, which is a very hard number. Earnings are clearly growing in the in the mid-teens. So those people in jobs have certainly doing well, perhaps too well for the sake of the unemployed. But earnings are strong, tax revenues are strong. So we're not in a broad crisis. We have a crisis with the failure of ESCOM to deliver. And uh, there's lots of, I think, lots of generating capacity there. They just can't seem to keep it running. So, I mean, you've got to change the incentive structure that operates in an ESCOM. You've got, to, you've got to give attention to, as private businesses do, to the bottom line. And when we can introduce attention to the bottom line in South Africa's public sector, we will have a much stronger economy. But you've got to be able to convince the ideologues accordingly. These debates always seem to circle back to ESCOM. Lara Hodes, Brian Cantor, thank you for joining me on this macroeconomics edition of No Ordinary Wednesday. Please join us again on the 3rd of August as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.